According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the National Institute for Drug Abuse, the two institutions found that eventually three out of four people who suffer from addiction eventually recover. Meanwhile, Vice Magazine reports that 33% of elite athletes are addicted to a drug that they took to either overcome their emotional or physical pain they needed to in order to get back to performing at an elite level. After a 15-year MLB career that saw him achieve the greatest heights in the profession, Brandon Puffer fell into the great depths of despair only to come out the other side a better man with a greater perspective on how to overcome setbacks and obstacles and now he's on a path to ensure that others can do the same. For him, overcoming his addiction and hardships meant filling a God-shaped hole in his heart. And he now lives his life with purpose and gratitude for everything which has been restored. And Puffer joined me this week to share his inspirational, encouraging, and thought-provoking story, which we can all learn from. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. about your journey in baseball and your personal journey as well. Great to be with you this afternoon, and thank you for a few minutes, my friend. Yes, sir, Kevin. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Absolutely. Now, I know that you spent more than a decade and a half in the uh, MLB, and you have quite the interesting story to tell me, so I'm wondering if you can tell me about your applying career and the, the days that followed afterwards, my friend. Oh, yes, absolutely, Kevin. I'd be happy to. I just, uh, you know, like a lot of probably listeners here, when I was a young young man, I had that dream of becoming a Major League Baseball player, a professional athlete. And um, fortunately for me, God had blessed me with some talent and, and through some hard work and things of that nature. In high school, I got drafted to play professional baseball. And so I went off on that journey. And um, all along, Kevin, I back up a little bit. I always kind of also had a, a fight on my hands with some of the demons off the field of addiction and things of that nature. So always kind of juggling the road of hard work, doing what I needed to do to become a professional ball player, um, and, and then also taking care of myself off the field, which I wasn't always all that successful at. So 
that would uh, kind of catch up with me at different times throughout my career and my life. But, uh, man, the baseball stuff was awesome. Just all these great minor league towns, got some major league time with some teams and enjoyed every minute of it from, honestly, from like Clinton, Iowa to playing in Wrigley Field was just a, a blessing. And, and I tried to enjoy every moment of that 15-year that career. Um, and again, I think, you know, as part of we'll get to our part of the story, just kind of where that off the field stuff caught up with me in 2008 and kind of derailed my career. But then also how redemptive that was and how much I needed a, a turnaround in my life in a situation such as that. Yeah, absolutely. Just before we get all into the off field stuff, my friend, I'm curious to ask you about your favorite baseball memory and some of your uh, fondest memories playing baseball? Oh, that's awesome. Great question, Kevin. Um, you know, something that really stands out, obviously, is that big league debut. You know, the first time you actually, for me, coming out of the bullpen and step on a major league field, um, it was in Cincinnati, and I was with the Houston Astros, and I can remember it like it was yesterday, just kind of a living, fulfilling a dream that you had looked forward to for so many years, and not just you, but your family and your loved ones, your friends. So that's definitely right up there, probably my top memory. And then I would say a, a, a very close second would be my first major league win um, came against the Texas Rangers in Arlington. And they just had a, a great lineup with Alex Rodriguez, Rafael Palmero, Juan Gonzalez, just kind of a feared lineup at that time. And I had an opportunity to come out of the bullpen early in a game when we were behind and kind of hold our team there for four or five innings. And we came back in one. So that, that was definitely a fond memory for me. And um, those are two that really jump out at me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know once uh, you retired, my friend, that you had some uh, self-reflecting time and really, uh, as you said, a redemptive time in your life. So I'm wondering if you can reflect back on that time and tell me how you persevered through it. Yes, absolutely, Kevin. For me, um, that time of reflection, um, unfortunately, came in, in a form of a five-year prison sentence. And it was a, a blackout I had celebrating a championship um, back in 2008 for the Texas Rangers AA affiliate. I had kind of turned into that Bull Durham, Crash Davis role where I had made it to the big leagues in my early 30s. I went back to AA to kind of mentor some young men uh, that were about 19, 20 years old that were young prospects. And um, I compromised on my beliefs, um, knowing all, all too well that alcohol was not something I was in control of. I had learned that through not only myself, but my dad and other family members, that it just wasn't a good decision for me. And I made a, a poor choice to go out one night and, and go against what I knew was um, kind of my better judgment and resulted in a five-year prison sentence. I went and did three and a half years on that um, for, for the, you know, being in trouble and what I did during that time. And so I did, like you said, Kevin, I had nothing but time to kind of sit in a cell or read or self-reflect or better myself. And, and unfortunately, it's, the system's not really set up to reform you, but I did make that choice to go, okay, this is kind of where I got myself with my choices. I surrendered my life, you know, to Christ at that time and said, whatever you have for me, I'm going to walk it out here. So if that's prison ministry from behind these walls, that's the way I kind of looked at it. And I was very fortunate to be able to, um, well, for, for perseverance purposes, it was just routine. It was every day having a routine, not looking at, you know, how am I going to get through this, but going, you know, let's get your feet on the floor, prayer, um, meditation, reading. At certain times I had classes I could go to. 
and just really being intentional about what I needed to do to better myself rather than getting caught up in some of the, the politics that go on in prison or the negativity that's certainly prevalent. So I just made that choice every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious how it also helped you evolve as both a leader, a, a man personally, and just how it helped you evolve to be a better person that time in your life. Great question, Kevin. I, I think really it came down to um, humility is something I needed. Um, I think something everybody needs. And I just think when it came to the pursuit of my career and my dream, it can be a very, um, you know, kind of a very, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for, um, selfish pursuit at times. And you're not really taking the time, or, or I should speak for myself, I wasn't taking the time to look how I can serve other people very often. I was always caught up in my own pursuit of my career. And when I had that time in prison to, to kind of see uh, people in a different way and kind of soften my heart towards people not knowing that there were so many great men sitting in there, um, some who will never get out just because they made poor choices. And they're not, they're not necessarily bad people. They've just made bad decisions. And so that really opened up my mind and my heart to, um, to really the, the one sentence that really stands out to me from Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life is, it's really not about me. This whole thing's just not about me. And I really thought it was prior to that. And of course, we still fight that urge of pride and, and all that every day. But um, at the end of the day, once I realized that and started looking for um, other ways to serve, it really helped me to have a heart for you know people that were struggling. And then in my current role as a, um, as a leader with young men through baseball, just kind of looking at not only, okay, how do I help them become better athletes? But who are they outside of baseball? I had to figure out for myself, who am I without the identity of you being Brandon Puffer, the baseball player? And that helps me to speak into other kids' lives of, okay, I hope you make it and get to play 15 years like I did. That's awesome. But someday it's going to come to an end and you're going to be a husband and a father. And how can we better prepare you for that? Because obviously when I left at 18 years old, across the country to become a professional baseball player, I wasn't ready. Uh, everything I prepared for was on the field, and I needed more help off the field. Yeah, and to that point, Brandon, I'm curious to get your thoughts on how you sort of view the term both resiliency and perseverance. When you think of those two terms, what comes to mind for you personally? Honestly, for me personally, Kevin, uh, it just comes down to refusing to quit, period. There's going to be really rough times. I mean, there is. And, and, you know, just take baseball, for instance. It's a game of failure. We hear the cliche all the time. If you, if you get out seven out of ten times and hit 300, you're, you're a great hitter. You're a great player. So you failed seven times. And, and same thing in life. I mean, you're going to fail, period, it, unless you're playing it too safe. And so for me, I always consider the, the baseball career, you know, chasing that dream as kind of like a war of attrition, if you will, like, I'm not necessarily better than the guys I'm competing against, but I'm just going to outlast them. I'm just going to last longer because the bus rides, the homesick, the the different things that can be, um, you know, a con to being out on the road. I just tried to, you know, keep reminding myself why I'm doing this and what I'm trying to pursue. And I think same goes for life. I mean, I'm trying to pursue different things now with a, a, a book and being a leader and growing our, our youth baseball program. And some days are hard and sometimes – you know, people aren't happy with the way we do things. And rather than dwell on that one situation, it's like, well, we just can't quit. We just need to keep improving, learning from each scenario and, and, and getting better and improving. And then at the end of the day, it's just not going to make everybody happy. So let's pour into and love on the ones that are 
bought in, they trust the process, and they want to get better because not everybody really does. Yeah, and Brandon, tell me, what do you consider sort of the redemption moment in your life or the turning point in your life where it all, all began to click for you, buddy? Yeah, Kevin, it was actually, I can remember the exact moment. It was right after I had a, I had a jury uh, trial. Um, I got sentenced to five years. They came, they put handcuffs on me um, right there in the, jur- in the jury room. And my dad was there and I asked them, can I say goodbye to my dad? And they said, no, you're coming with us. And so they took me back to a holding cell. They stripped me of all my clothes and belongings. They put me in my, you know, my prison issued uniform. And they stuck me in a cell and they shut that gate or those bars. And I heard the clank. And I literally at that point, Kevin, just lifted up, surrendered my whole life to whatever God had for me next. And I had done that before, but I had done it in terms of like, hey, I don't want to go to prison. Get me out of this, you know, kind of begging for a release from my consequences. And this one was different. This was, you know what, I, whatever it is, wherever you have me, I'm, I'm going to walk it out and live for you. And so every day you know, walking out that sentence was that way. And I just really realized through that time that my peace, my joy didn't come from my circumstances or baseball or world series ring. It came from that constant conversation and trying to figure out my purpose each day for why God would wake me up or or give me breath in my lungs. And at that point, moving forward, he did end up redeeming everything to me, my family, my children, baseball back to my life. Um, I could have never guessed where I'd be on the other side of that prison sentence without you know, his redemption. But for me, Kevin, to answer your question, it started right that day when I got that sentence. And I said, okay, you're not getting out of this. There's no way around it. You're going to go through it and you're not going to go through it alone. Well, yeah, yeah just before we move on, Brennan, I'm, I'm going to tell you that uh, part of my life is also uh, overcoming obstacles, but I don't know how much research you did on me, but I was born with what's called uh, spastic quadrant pollutants or repulsive body. It simply means that I, I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. And I, I tell myself every day, buddy, that I can e- either work for my circumstances or, or I can make my circumstances work for me, right? So it's all a matter of per- perspective in life, isn't it? Yes, it is, Kevin. Thank you for, for sharing that. And that just is so encouraging to me and I'm sure everyone that you come in contact with of to your point just kind of going with the cards you've been dealt and making the most of it and and serving and sharing your story is just so powerful probably not only for those that are in the same situation but for those of us who tend to take things for granted so thank you for sharing that it's awesome yeah absolutely and Brendan I'm curious to get your opinion on setting expectations in life because you know I always say that the only level of expectations you have to meet in life are your own because if you don't set your own standard of excellence, there's nothing to aspire to in life. So tell me, how do you look at setting your own life expectations? Yeah, it's so important. And I think the important thing to realize, you know, for me, and it's always a constant reminder, is that other people just aren't going to live up your expectations most of the time. And and really, we can't expect them to. Um, and, and I get offended when that happens and I have an expectation and it's not met. And I think, oh, what is the deal here? And then when you really think about it, it's like, well, this is my expectation. I shouldn't be able to project that to them. And I, and I say that as if I have that down, I don't. It's a constant reminder. Um, but for me, uh, Kevin, it's just not comparing myself to others, 
but trying to make sure I'm the best version of me every single day and not wasting a single day that I'm given. And so that is my expectation really of myself. Okay, uh, God, you woke me up. You gave me breath today. I need to do the best I can. And sometimes that's, Kevin, that's as simple as putting one foot in front of the other, going about my day, my tasks, smiling at people, trying to throw an encouraging word here and there. Some days it's bigger than that. Some days it's coming on and sharing with guys with like you and, and encouraging people on a, on a bigger um, platform. But whatever it is, I just feel like every day after my prison sentence has kind of been, I'm, I'm on house money. I would never realized I'd be back in this situation. And, and so the fact that I am, again, it's just living every day to my full potential. And, and I can't really compare that to, to other people. And if they aren't really meeting my expectations, then again, that's not really for them to do. So I, I try to just keep in my lane and, and live up to my own expectations and set them at a very, very high standard. Some days I do, and I I think if I'm being honest, some days I I certainly don't. But try not to beat myself up on the days where I don't. Yeah, but I know one of your proudest moments, my friend, is helping to mentor young uh, people that may be in the same uh, circumstances that you uh, found yourself in. And I know that youth baseball is also important to you. So I'm I'm fascinated to learn about all the great work that you're doing now, buddy. I'm wondering if you could share that with me today. Oh, yes. I'd be happy to, Kevin. It, it is. It's very, very important to me. It's definitely my passion. Um, when I was still playing and I was in that mentor role with the Texas Rangers, my goal was to become a major league bullpen coach. And I think it's a goal that I would have attained had I had I just kind of stayed in, in major league baseball and nothing would have happened to derail that. Now, what's really cool about that is what I'm doing now wasn't really on my radar. And what it is, I have a youth and high school nonprofit called GPS Legends, about 300 families from eight years old up to 18 that we coach and we play, they play baseball and we advocate for them to go to college or get drafted or whatever their, their ability dictates. We kind of train them up on the mental side and encourage them in their life. And again, try to help them both on and off the field. And the way that lights me up to, to think about, to talk about is something that I never realized would have been a part of my life. I always wondered, you know, especially when I was sitting in prison going, okay, probably baseball is probably over for me. Who knows? But you know what? What's ever going to bring to me that passion that I took every day towards competing and and trying to be the best version of myself on the mound? And what it is is being able to pass that on to all these young men and and whether it's a one-on-one lesson or coaching them through a weekend or a summer and, you know, going to war with them and trying to help them become the best versions of themselves and not back down and, and handle adversity and failure well um, really is what I think was my calling all along. I just didn't realize it. Um, so again, kind of thankful for the path that I've gone down and, and now having this program that's only existing because of God's grace and some awesome men that are great coaches that really pour into these young men. It's, it's way bigger than me for sure, but it is a huge blessing and it's definitely my passion and what I'm, I'm focused on most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And brother, tell me how you find the word emotional and, and mental courage. What is what comes to mind when you think of emotional and a mental courage, my friend? I'm curious to know. Yeah, for me, my first gut reaction to those terms are being um, courageous enough to admit when you're not perfect, when you're struggling. Um, admit what your struggles are. Share with others because I, I think the more that folks come to the forefront with their struggles. For me, I'm pretty in tune with the mental health 
issues because I know I've had some struggles in that arena myself. Um, but whatever it is, not going through your day acting like you have it all going on and, and I'm mentally tough and I'm mentally courageous because we do need to be mentally tough to compete, you know, athletically. But then again, when you come off, you know, that field or from between those lines, being able to be honest with your your mental toughness and your courage and being able to say me as a as a big guy, you know, being 6'3", 270, a former athlete who loves to work out, but going, you know what, I'm still just kind of soft inside at times and mentally I struggle um, so being able to kind of balance those two things. And I think, especially as a man, not trying to pretend like you have everything going on, I think you can encourage more folks when they don't look at you as someone and just go, Oh, well, I'm not going to do that. Cause they, they're just mentally tougher than me. No, just going, you know what? I do have my struggles and, um, I am going to be open and honest and transparent about those to try to encourage others. It's kind of the first thing that comes to my mind when you mention those two terms. Yeah, absolutely. And- you know, brother, I'm always about creating environments of inclusion for all people. That's one of the reasons I wanted uh, to start this podcast. So tell me, brother, when you think about the word inclusion, especially uh, for young people and promoting an atmosphere of acceptance, what comes to mind to you, my friend? Yeah, I think it just comes down to um, knowing that not everyone's going to think exactly like we are, and that's okay or act exactly like we are, and that's okay. Um, Not necessarily having to agree with everybody else's point of view or life choices or whatever the case may be, but being respectful of that and and, and loving on others. Because at the end of the day, if there's something we don't agree with, or if I'm acting a certain way or take part in something that someone doesn't agree with, if they can just respectfully have a conversation and, and try to understand more of kind of the root of why I do a certain thing or why I do something different than you, I think we'd be in a much better place than just judgment and pointing figures and going, I just don't understand that. And there's certainly things that I don't understand, you know, generationally or whatever the case may be. Um, but, you know, even conviction on my part, as I say it, trying to be a little more open minded to, um, you know, folks that aren't in the same crowd as I am. And I'm thinking of youngsters that I encourage and I coach, you know, trying to look for that young man or woman at school that seems like they're alone or maybe they're acting or dressing a certain way because they're feeling lonely and they need friends and they need support and not just kind of turning our nose or our eyes to them and, and keep going about our day and only hanging around with people that, you know, kind of fit our mold, be it the, the jocks or whatever the case may be. Every school has their own clique. But I think inclusiveness would say, hey, let me look around and try to see if there's someone I can encourage today that doesn't dress just like me or think just like me. Yeah, I, I tell you, Brendan, I, I always tell people that there's, uh, power and the power of perspective, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. That's huge. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, brother, when you look at balancing both playing professional sports and balancing a personal life, how do you think, uh, for anyone listening to that, this may struggle with the concept of balance and pressure? How do you think we can live a more balanced lifestyle style that allows us to be uh, more uh, full people when, when we step off of sort of the athletic arena as well? Mm, that is a great question, Kevin. I'd be the first one to tell you that I didn't balance that well um, personally. And so if I could go back and, and look at it, and I saw men that did a really good job, had great family lives, personal lives, they could balance it. But I think the biggest part of it would be 
being able to kind of compartmentalize and, and not bring your work home with you, so to speak. I was always kind of like hanging on one pitch I didn't make or one that I did and trying to improve and look forward to the next you know, day or next competition rather than really being where your feet are and enjoying family time when you're with family and enjoying downtime when you're down rather than thinking ahead all the time to the next you know, game or event or project or whatever your job may be, being able to kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, flip that switch off and leave that back there. You know, I had some guys tell me when they would take a shower after our game, that whole game, good or bad, went down the drain in the shower so they could be prepared for family time or whatever came next once they left the ballpark. And I just, I never really was good at that during the time. And now looking back, I, I want to encourage others to try to, and I do get a chance to do that sometimes, try to take the time to do that because I could have enjoyed it a little more had I not, you know, allowed myself to do that. Um, compartmentalize a little bit and go, okay, I'm going to work, I'm going to do my baseball thing. Now I'm out of there and I'm not thinking about it. I'm just enjoying where I am. And, I, and again, I use that term, just be where your feet are. Enjoy what you're doing right this moment rather than always looking ahead to the next thing. You well, we, we can speed up. You know, one of the things that I always tell people, too, is that we can't uh, speed up the time that we don't have, right? Yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. And, and Brother, I'm curious if you can uh, talk to me just a little bit about your upbringing and how it really uh, formed you into the person that you are today. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to, Kevin. I um, Man, I kind of won the, the parent lottery, the family lottery, I think. Um, it, it wasn't perfect, but I had two parents that were together. They're still together. And as we were growing up, my brother Todd and I had one brother, two, year, two and a half years apart, extremely close. We grew up in Orange County, California, so a beautiful place to grow up. Um, and, and really, it was just the tale of kind of two different parents. My dad was a, a big, tough, athletic guy, liked to party, liked to fight, liked to kind of what you would think of as maybe a man's man, right? And my mom, I don't know, I didn't really lean into that side. I leaned into wanting to be more like my dad. And I just kind of thought my mom was an, an anomaly. Like, how does she, everything you say, it's, well, God's got a plan, pray about it. And I know that to be true now, but it just didn't seem realistic to me when I was young. And so I gravitated towards my dad and I looked up to him as my hero. And, and I think, you know, unfortunately, I ended up making some of the same poor choices he did. But Watching my dad eventually turn his life around, um, become sober, give his life to Christ, and kind of start walking the walk that my mom had always walked for us, that's what really got a hold of me because I never saw the change in my mom. She was just always steady, which is awesome. But when I saw a true change in my dad's life, it really kind of awoke something in me going, this is real. This isn't just my mom talking about this. There's something to this. And so, again, just going back, I think it kind of shaped me as, as being an encourager now. Um, I try to be a, a motivator of people and, and put a smile on my face. And, I, and I, I saw that walked out always by my mom and then by my dad as well, especially once he had the courage to face his demons and addictions and turn his life around was really huge for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Brendan, I'm curious, when we talk about maximizing inspiration, what do you think that means in terms of, in terms of surrounding yourself with the inspiration to continue continue to push forward even when times are uh, difficult. So tell me, what does it mean to you to maximize inspiration? For me, it comes down to having a toolbox 
that I can rely on, have a consistent routine. Because there's just going to be days you don't feel like it. No different than, say, working out. If you just only go when you feel like it, you're probably not going to see a whole lot of gains. And in, in the in the world of inspiration, you don't wake up every day feeling like you want to inspire and encourage people. Even though I know you've been called to do it, I can tell, and I feel like I have too. So for me, having a routine to lean on that I don't stray too far from, and for me, that's making sure I wake up and have some quiet time, have some time in prayer, some time in scripture. Um, I love to listen to motivating, encouraging podcasts, um, you know, men or women that are out there encouraging others. And what I've noticed is they always are free to admit they don't always feel like it, but they, they get up and they do it. And so really just kind of listening to other folks talk about it helps me to, to or reminds me to, that I want to be an encourager. And even if I'm not feeling great that particular day, um, even selfishly, Kevin, when I encourage somebody else or help somebody else feel better about themselves, selfishly, that makes me feel good. So to continue to do that and give even when you don't feel like it, um, it is for me the best way to maximize, you know, inspiration or encouragement. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Brenda, my final question for you today has to do with your own personal and professional legacy and how you want that to be defined. Hmm. Well, I do have a book coming out and I wrote it for that reason. Um, and, and the biggest thing I'd have to say is, you know, for my children or my own legacy or the program we've developed here, I would really like people to just be able to go, hey, you know what? Coach Puffer did not ever claim to be perfect or to have it going on. He went through some serious struggles. Um, but at the end of the day, he never quit. He never quit. He, he would take a couple steps back occasionally, a couple steps forward. But every day he got up, the enemy was like, oh, no, he's up. He's up again. He's not going to lay down. Because um, there's days where you don't feel like going on, Kevin, for me. Um, or, or there's days you just don't feel like, you know, being positive or encouraging. And, and so as long as I don't quit and I keep trying to maximize mo my potential, be it through sharing my story with a book or just coaching folks up on the field or being an encouragement everywhere I go, um, as long as I can do that till, till my last days, and, and then I'm hoping that people will be able to to see. And I think the fruit of that will be folks that have been encouraged and, and have hopefully had a better life because I've, I've spoken something motivational, encouraging, or even more than spoken, hopefully walked it out and they were able to watch that. Yeah, absolutely. And since you brought it up, I'm going to ask you about your pending book, buddy, and the process about writing it and how that's going for you. Man, it's going awesome, Kevin. Thank you for asking. It's finished. We're just waiting on the forward and we're hoping to launch it before Christmas. Um, you know, it's something I've always felt called to do. The title will be is from the bullpen to the state pen, just kind of talking about that fall from grace from a major league bullpen pitcher to, you know, spending time in the state penitentiary. And all that was learned kind of in the pursuit of the dream, but also through the rock bottom. And then again, fortunately, there's some chapters we're able to write now about the redemption of the story. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to share that. And hopefully a legacy for my kids and been pretty honest and transparent about my struggles in there. So my hope is that at least one person would be helped or encouraged by reading my story. Yeah, absolutely. And just very quickly, Brendan, I'm curious, curious when you watch baseball today and some of the changes they've made in baseball, what do you think about uh, how they've sort of tried to make the uh, game more appealing to more people? Certainly, uh, so, uh, uh, trying to speed the game up. So what, what do you think about some of the changes that they've made to baseball since you retired, my friend? 
Yeah, that's a good question, Kevin. I'm a huge fan, always have been. I love watching baseball. I I consider myself kind of old school, so I can get in trouble sometimes with having a closed mind to change and don't mess with our game type of mentality, which isn't really healthy, and I realize that. Um, The one thing I've noticed, Kevin, is all the attempts at speeding up the game, I can see where it needs it. You know, you get three and a half, four-hour games, not everybody's engaged for that long. I haven't seen any of them that have been very effective, personally. When I still watch baseball, it's about the same length. (laughs) So I just, I think it's such a beautiful game. I I think it's okay to try different things and try to change them. And I don't have a specific rule change in mind. Like, for instance, I was sharing with a friend the other day, um, you know, I think everybody resisted replay when it first came out. And I I think it's so important because we see how many times it affects a game. I had a buddy that threw a perfect game several years ago. And before replaying, the umpire called the last batter safe to ruin a perfect game or history. And he was out clearly by, you know, a few feet. And even the umpire felt awful about that. They're humans. They do the best they can in real time. But um, I'm kind of skating the question a little bit because I don't love the direction of the game uh, necessarily. But when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of it and just watching them compete and the chess match that goes on, you know, in the game, I I do love it. I I resist a little bit with all the celebration and the bat flips and the showing up the other team. I just kind of go a little old school on that stuff. Then I also realize that some of the kids enjoy it. And I actually get a chance to coach these youngsters. So I watch how what they watch in today's game carries over to the way they they walk it out on the field. And I'm able to kind of temper some of that and then, you know, also, you know, try to in my own self open up and go, okay, you guys are just enjoying the game. Let's Let's have fun with it. But I, I'll always watch it. I love it. Um, I, I enjoy the heck out of it. I miss it already. I can't wait for it to start back again. Yeah, you know, uh, listening to you talk, but I have to tell you why I originally went to school to become a sports reporter. So some of, some of the things that, you know, I'm still, still trying to get used to uh, from a baseball perspective is the, the extra inning change, right? And, and Putting the last guy on base at second base, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm in love with the extra inning rules, but uh, and eliminating the shift. So uh, just before we get out of here, buddy, I'm curious to get your thoughts on those two uh, rule changes specifically. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not a fan of the extra inning rule at all. Um, they do it in our games where I coach at our levels because – Time is of the essence. They've got several games going on. They can't, they can't afford to have an extra inning game. I love an extra inning game where you have to just get a guy on, get a guy over, and score runs somehow. Just putting a guy out there makes no sense to me. I'm not a fan of that particular um, rule. I'm just not. And in terms of the shift, for me, it's always been, you know what? If you don't like the shift, adjust to it. And we saw it in the postseason. You know, guys – even guys like Bryce Harper started attempting a bunt for a hit just to get on base to sacrifice for his team. And I'm not saying we want Bryce Harper bunting for hits all the time because, you know, power is a big part of his game. But if more guys were willing to adjust to the shift and adjust their approach, that would take care of itself, in my opinion. So when they put the shift in, I was like, hey, that's weird. I don't understand it, but oh, well, just adjust to it. Now that they're banning it, I thought, well, why did they really need to step in and ban that when Guys should really be able to stand wherever they want in between those white lines. And then the hitter, in my opinion, should have to adjust to that approach. And you can use it to your advantage. And um, so I I didn't care either way when they put it in. 
And I was surprised they had to step in to ban it because I just felt like, again, tactically, the approach of the, of the offense would take care of it. But apparently it didn't. So they're going to go ahead and take it out. Well, yeah. Uh, isn't that the truth? Well, I want to uh, uh, thank you. for. Oh, first of all, tell me if people, if people want to get connected with you, my friend, uh, what's the best way they can do that? Sure, Kevin, that's easy. It's brandonpuffer.com, and just go to my website, and all the social media is there. Obviously, info on the book and all that good stuff will be there. So brandonpuffer.com. Fantastic. Well, Brandon, I really want to uh, thank you for trusting me to uh, share your story of both redemption, inspiration, and encouragement, my friend. I want to thank you for all the good work that you do in youth baseball. And, for joining me this afternoon. It's most appreciated. Oh, Kevin, what a pleasure, man. It's been an honor, and I've been encouraged by you today. So thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate you.